Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In today's episode, I got a chance to chat with one of my favorite writers, Wilson K. Wing. Wilson is a writer from South Carolina. His work is featured in publications like X-Ray, New World Writing, Malden House, No Contact, Wigleaf, and one of my favorite, Hope Art. His memoir, Bridges, is forthcoming from Bull City Press. In this episode, we talk about his writing process, Foo Fighters, Batman, The Breakfast Club, and so many other unrelated things. But before the show, I'd like to share that Textual Healing is now offering merch. Show us that you too are a textual healer by checking out our swag and leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts after the show. For now, though, please enjoy this more than fun chat with Wilson. All right, so... Do you want to start by introducing yourself? Sure, yeah, totally. Hell yeah. So I'm Wilson K. Wing. I'm a, primarily a writer of Flash and, I guess, essays these days. I've been dabbling in some short stories recently, trying to get to a place where I can start working on a much longer work. That's like sort of where my head's been at lately. I'm very excited to hear your last name. That's not what I thought it was going to be pronounced. I was guessing Cowing. Yeah, it's weird. You know, it's like it's a German pronunciation, and there's no real reason why it should be pronounced that way other than my father claimed that's how it used to be pronounced. Like, or that's how his father thought it was supposed to be pronounced. And I don't hey, know. whatever works for you. Yeah, it's like it should have one of those little things over the O. Like, it's, it's like it makes an A sound, the OE or something. Like, I think you just, like, do K and then dash wing. Yeah, I've been thinking about doing that for a long time. Yeah, see, my name is a little easier, but no one ever actually believes my last name is Smart, so, yeah. I never questioned it for a minute. Oh, my God, I have had so many weird things with my last name. I have had, like, the first day of school, everybody being, like, Smart, is that legit? Or substitute teachers being, like, are you smart? You know, that dorky-ass <laughs> thing. I feel like I've discussed right. that a lot. But, God, subs always ask, like, the weirdest questions. Isn't that the truth? Hell, yeah. See, that that is why I was going to be a high school teacher, and then I was just like, no, that's hell on earth. So now I'm just, like, a bum writer. Same. I mean, like, I've got an MFA, and I, you know, I don't I wouldn't even want to be a community college teacher I've decided like the only thing I would want to do would be like go like do workshops someday maybe what is it like getting an MFA oh boy (laughs) (laughs) well mine was mine was interesting because I actually went for a screenwriting MFA at the uh, University of New Orleans but you have to take classes in a bunch of other disciplines, right? So I started taking fiction workshops and nonfiction workshops. And that's really when I started writing prose. Like this was, I really wasn't even writing stuff like I write now until like two or three years ago. And it was just, it started because I just liked doing it in those classes. And I was getting so sick of just, the screenplay writing can be so boring. Yeah, it's very technical. I've always been really intrigued in trying to get there because I originally wanted to be a filmmaker and then I was like pivot to maybe screenwriting and then I ended up here in this weird gray zone. (laughs) Yeah, I always thought that I could just... Well, you know, when I first wanted to get into film, I was like, well, I just want to be like a 
I want to be a writer director. I want to be like one of these auteurs, like Paul Thomas Anderson or you know Kubrick or something. And then you start realizing, well, it's a lot of work just to just to be on a film set doing that stuff. Not to mention trying to work your way up into the to get to that point. I mean, it was just. So then I pivoted to screenwriting, and I was like, "Shit, this is kind of boring." See, the pivots are the best. See, I was doing it where. I was making a short film, and one of the actors in my short film was a writer who was connected to more of like the alt-lit movement, and mm-hmm. I just kind of Facebook stalked him a little bit after, and I was like, this is a really intriguing thing. I'll just give it a go. And here we are. Yeah, yeah. You, you live on a sort of an interesting balance between that world and I guess the more mainstream literary world it seems like you know i'm not even sure like what we even call the world we live in right now like the writer (laughs) community or the world in general but like both confusing it's not alt lit anymore and i really tried to push like meta modernism and shit like that and then facebook came along and we're like we're meta and i'm just like fuck you mark zuckerberg and now I'm not a fan of autofiction, so I don't know. I also heard, like, cyber writers, and I'm just like, mm, someone else please come up with something better. Cyber writers, yeah. There's, a, there's certainly a subsect who like to, like to talk about the, their cyber writers. I don't know. I mean, isn't everybody who's published on the Internet a cyber writer, technically? You know, I mean, it is, but it feels like a post-apocalyptic movie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed what you mean. Like, we're writers in The Terminator. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Hey, they needed entertainment, too. That's so true. They weren't just battling the machines. They needed someone to keep up and be like, don't worry, guys. We'll keep you hyped, give you the content. Yeah, I like metamodernism, but it's it's been ruined now, unfortunately. Yeah. It's so funny because like, I really want to kind of keep it alive, even though Mark Zuckerberg took meta, but... Yeah, people are resistant to it. Autofiction seems to be the main one people are going for. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird genre because you know, like I feel like I write a lot of stuff that could sort of be in that realm, but like the difference is is that generally it's like some portion of my life is being used. And then I'm using all sorts of other kinds of elements that don't have anything to do with who I actually am. So it's like, it's a weird sort of balance. I mean, I guess you're always sort of doing that in writing unless, I mean, if it's a first person narrative, a lot of times it's, it's going to seem like it's, it's you writing about it, especially if you write the kind of things that I generally tend to write. I think it's funny because a lot of people assume that that's what I do. Like almost like people think that you lack imagination and it's like, oh, it must be about your life. But I mean, that's one of my favorite things about your writing is there's almost like this far out like absurdity to it. Like you're a wild writer. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Like, I I don't think I can like figure out a better way. Like you're just fucking wild. I love it. Well, I mean, it's, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I don't really, I can't say for sure that I know exactly what I'm up to. It's just, you know, it's just sort of, a lot of it is observational stuff, you know, I'll see something and then I'll just, I think a lot of it comes from the screenwriting, you know, like I was, I wanted to translate sort of, sort of that visual style over to prose writing. And then you start to realize that you really need to kind of be the character 
And that's mm-hmm. just, that's sort of where it always comes from for me, like just trying to get as deep into these characters and come up with some sort of absurd thing they'd be up to. What do you see yourself most in? Oh. Like out of the flash fiction and the short stories, like what protagonists, who do you feel reflects yourself most? Oh man, it's you know it's got to be some of the stories that I've that I've written that you were kind enough to publish. Like a lot of the ones that involve like the the ex girlfriend character, the Jade character, and like sort of mm-hmm. the guy who just like it's kind of wandering around like New Orleans or Denver, running it, you know, like meeting strange people or just sort of commenting on the way he views like what's going on in this in the city and like how the city is changing and all this stuff i mean those are very much i mean so many of those ideas that those characters have are absolutely how i feel you know Mm -hmm. so what do you do to get yourself like hyped to write that kind of stuff like (laughs) obviously we're gonna like segue into music right 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 of course yeah don't worry, I've actually done entire podcasts with this where actually it's like on the last minute I'd be like, oh shit, music, yeah, okay. No, it's really interesting because like, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that I, I really thought about this until I was going to come on here and I was just looking at, I was just sort of going through the story, some of the stories I've published and I pulled like, let me see, I wrote them down here. There's like 12, there's 12 stories that I, just like remembering what was in them that... Like, I literally, like, specifically reference songs in those stories. And a lot of times those songs... That's what made me want to do you. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of... I don't know. A lot of times those those songs will be... I mean, I've gotten so lazy now that my most recent flash piece I published was the name of the song that was in it. Which one was that? It's called called Big Me. It's on... uh, It was in New World Writing pretty recently. But like that's a Foo Fighters song that the main character listens to in the car and the in the uh, in the story, and it's like I guess what that's what it's leading back to is that a lot of times, a lot of times I listen to these songs, you know, over and over and over again, uh, and I don't know what it's giving me exactly, but like I probably listen to that fucking Foo Fighters song. Who knows? 30, 40 times while I was working on that little flash piece. It's like 600 words. So, like, you really obviously like Dave Grohl. Yeah, yeah, I like Dave Grohl, sure. I mean, it's weird. You know, honestly, I'm not sure if that's true. Like, I'm not a Foo Fighters fan, per se. I mean, you know, I... I respect the fact that he's been able to do what he's been able to do to distance himself from Nirvana. I mean, you know, that would have... That might have crushed a different kind of artist, I think. God, Nirvana has like been all over the place lately because of that movie, The Batman. You notice that? Mm, I haven't. I've unfortunately I've not seen it yet, but I have not. Yeah, I've seen it. I think I saw something about. I feel like I've seen the outskirts of this conversation. There must be. They must be using it in some really great way in that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either, but. I was seeing that, okay, this is a song, Something in the Way, and Spotify has streamed up to 1,200% after the Batman release. Whoa. So it it is shot up. Like, damn. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of, it makes a lot of sense to be based on how old I know the director is and, you know, like just the grittiness of it. And you're 
kind of at a point now where, you know, young people going to see it might not quite know exactly the whole Nirvana vibe, which is amazing to amazing to think about. But I mean, it's getting there. That kind of makes me really sad, but also excited at the same time. Like they're being introduced to it, but they don't know it. You're totally right. I mean, I've seen a lot of people wear like Kurt Cobain shirts and everything. And it's just like, do you know who's on your shirt? And they're like, nah. <laughs> well, I mean, people who are 25 now were being born around the time that he died. Or, yeah, I mean, that, right around that time, right? I mean, nine, yeah. Insane. I mean, that's, yeah. that's hard to believe. So, I mean, that's an entire... I mean, think about when you first start to listen to anything. And, I mean, how are people that age going to find Nirvana exactly? I mean, something else has definitely come along that they're going to be listening to in their junior high years or something. You know, that's it's all like... Young people love to listen to the music that's, that's you know, happening right in the moment. And then when you get older, you start to realize, or at least I've sadly gotten to the point where it's like... All I want to do is listen to music that's like nostalgic to me. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it was one of those things where I was introduced to a lot of older bands because one, I have a very music forward family. I don't know if that's like even a real term, but I also have a lot of older siblings. <laughs> so they definitely would make like mixtapes. And also if you remember the era where there were the mixed CDs, you know, where we pirated everything. Oh God, yes. So, what generation are you, actually? You know, I guess I, I, I've always considered myself an elder millennial. I, I was born in 1982, so I'm like right on the cusp of it. Ooh, yeah. Definitely. You could run for president. I know. <laughs> I don't know what my platform would be, but... I mean, it's all those things. I love how presidents actually have like their own theme songs. That's <laughs> and, true. I don't know. I, I think that's one of those, like... Oh, I loved there, how like, Trump had the worst one. Or, like, Trump would have them, and then the artist would be like, no, you can't be using this. I know. And it was like there was nobody except, like, three doors down who would who he could use their music anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to remember Bill Clinton did something off of Rumors, and everyone's, like, making fun of that because it's like, oh, my God, that it was, like, an album that was all about people who were cheating on each other, and we did not get that. <laughs> That's amazing, though. It is. It's one of those, I think he was trying to tell us something. <laughs> like, what was but... Clinton, though? Like, when you think about it, he was kind of, like, one of the first. Like, this just makes me think, who's the first millennial president going to be? And it's like, Bill Clinton was kind of, like, the first, like, sort of. What, he was our first what was baby he? boomer president, I would think. Yeah, I guess I guess he would have been. Because, I mean, you had yeah. nothing but, like, extremely old men before that. And then right now we shockingly have gone to where we have a silent generation president. Like, we have just gone backwards. <laughs> I mean, I just think, yeah, that, I think um, everybody was Biden just, is technically there. I think everybody was just happy that... At least I found myself happy that I don't have to that I don't have to deal with him on a daily basis. Yeah. But I'm also starting to realize that that doesn't necessarily mean he's doing a very good job. So, but what do I know about? I, I don't. I stay out of it. 
See, I have a lot of very heavily political friends, so I have to like know kind of what's going on, but I also never state my opinions because I know I'm very liberal and radical in the same way, and it'll piss them off very quickly. <laughs> like, I'm the kind of person who it's like, I know I'm going to lose this argument because you're crazy, so I'm just going to step out politely. Fair enough. I think it was the Trump years that just got me to like completely stop even dealing with it at all. Like the first two years, I was like, still kind of gung ho into this, like sort of, this is like changing the very fabric of our society. You realize that, right? And then I was just like, eventually, I was just like, well, this is just the way things are now with the, with the way people communicate online and stuff. And like, people are going to believe whatever they want to believe. And I don't know. I I don't think that I ever really fully got how true that was until I started seeing the divisiveness that social media was doing to politics. Yeah, I mean, God, I can get on, like, a social media bender like crazy. Like, in the metaverse, it's going to be really hard to, like, regulate. And I won't even get into that much <laughs> because it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I, I just... Uh, Facebook is... I, was, I said something the other day where it's like, I go on Facebook nowadays to see my memories of like the, like the, like the Facebook memories that I had posted like years ago when, during better times. And now I've, I'm on there so little, like my friends don't even pop up. It's just like I see nothing but ads and all kinds of news sources and just weird stuff. I don't even know what's going on over there. I just check like my old pictures just to remind myself occasionally that I'm not a failure at life and I've had good times. <laughs> <laughs> it is still good for that. That is that is true. I love when pictures of like especially travel pictures and stuff like because, um, you know, like back when Facebook was, I guess, as positive as it ever was, it was really, you know, it was kind of a good place to post what you've been doing, especially like travel or going out and having a good time. So your friends and family could see it, or so you could just annoy do, like, people. On the wall, where it like would say your name. They didn't even call it the wall. Like after a while, where it'd be like your name, and then is, and then you just like have to fill in the blank. Oh yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, I used to think it was really funny to just write is. <laughs> see, I'm it was, very happy. It was not that funny. <laughs> Like, just to, like, hop out of Facebook. I don't think a lot of the baby boomers understand that, like, they're stuck on it. And they're like, why don't you connect and everything? And it's like, because we jumped ship because you were on there. It's true. It's true. And it's, it's you know, it's almost like, I mean, Twitter can be so volatile. And it's like, I literally only, like, basically the only reason I'm on there is for my writing. And then, you know, to just get in occasional arguments with people. But I love like your Twitter for that. <laughs> just, but, I'm, but I'm starting to wonder, like, am I ever going to have, like, a platform that was... There was a time when the simplicity of Facebook and its perceived positivity in the world, like connection, felt, felt kind of nice before people started to realize, and somehow not the people who created it, mind you, that it's... Like an incredible thing that you can like turn into a weapon, like really, really easily, especially in a country like America. I feel like Americans could weaponize anything. We're very I good know, at that. But it's like, but it's like, but then like people are using it against us. I mean, and, and it's just like the amount of poor bastards who were just duped into believing who knows what, you know, the last 
five, six years on there. It's just hard to believe, you know. It's just it's like the kind of people that call like old ladies and like convince them that they've done something wrong to get like a few dollars from them because they'll still answer the telephone. Yeah. I feel so guilty like about see that I see is definitely wrong and I immediately like compare that to like the Tinder swindler where it's like that is totally fucked up. Like those are oh yeah. <laughs> like how did you get into like that scam? But when you get into like some of the other scam artists, I'm just like, I salute you. Like you did a good job. <laughs> like Anna Delvey. Like she just kind of fucked over rich people. <laughs> That's I mean, I completely understand and agree with what you're saying. I mean it's you know, there's we're to the point where it's you know, you've got to really like sort of choose your choose your scammer like uh, a little bit. Like, I was reading that she, like, she ripped off the fire Festival guy, where it's just like, that's just ironic as hell. <laughs> and she ripped off Jordan Belfort, the guy who is in, uh... The like Wolf of Wall Street guy. Wolf, yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? That's just awesome. Like, you guys just kind of deserved it a little bit. <laughs> and you guys got taken in by, like, a 20-something girl with a very bad accent. That is true. She, yeah, she did do some stuff like that that was... I, I had not heard about the Firefest thing. I haven't watched that either. I maybe need to need to catch up on it. Yeah, there's a great Netflix and Hulu documentary. I love how Hulu and Netflix kind of try and like compete over who has the best documentary occasionally. But right, I love Firefest. Like Fire they did the same thing. They did. Did they both have one? Yeah, there's like fire fraud on one of them. I actually watched them back to back just to see like the different point of views. They're basically the same. Yeah, they were really similar, I remember. And even some some of the same people, uh, I think, were sort of involved in both of them. That yeah. was all crazy. I mean, which musician was like the one who was really heavily behind it? Was it Ja Rule? Oh, yeah, it was Ja Rule. Which, you know, just speaks to exactly how big of a shit show it was because, you know, I mean, he was at least a decade from any time that he was remotely relevant. My question is, like, is that one of the first times that, like, a musician actually started to try and, like, found their own or put their name on a music festival? Because that seems to be a big thing, like, kind of like that... Um, Oh my God, I forgot about it already. That's how you know that the news cycle is moving fast. Travis Scott, whatever his one was, Astroworld? Oh yeah, Astroworld, yeah, yeah. Like, is you know that what's new? That, you know, that's a tough one because like back in the 90s, Jay-Z had like the Hard Knock Life Tour, which was like, you know, but that, but that's not the same thing necessarily because what you're talking about is essentially a, a, a musician basically being like musician slash promoter. Yeah. And like sort of putting putting their name on it. So yeah, you might be onto something. I'm not sure. I mean he could have seen he could have seen that and been like, you know, they really they really flubbed this, but I think that's actually a pretty decent idea. Like I want to put my name on this thing of mine. Didn't go that well for him, obviously, but I, I could see it happening because, more in the future. Yeah, I know a lot of other musicians do it. Um I know Jack Antonoff does Shadow of the City in New Jersey. Um, I know Taylor Swift was going to do those two Swift Fests on, like, both coasts. I was dying to see what that one was Swift going to fest. be about. 
<laughs> I know. I used to be like, was it just going to be her, like, doing, like, epic, like, albums back to back? Or did she have, like, guests or anything? Like, that would have been really cool to see. I would be super intrigued to see who she would get on there because, like, as far as contemporaries go, she sort of lives in her own kind of world a little bit. It's so, like, she definitely has, like, almost like this American fantasy life. Like, I was listening to, um, okay, I just have to admit, my nieces are obsessed with her. So I've definitely been listening to, like, folklore and everything and uh, Evermore. And, like, the song, like, uh, Last Great American Dynasty and everything, like, she actually bought, like, Mm. this, like, huge-ass, like, mansion in Rhode Island, and it was, like, the most expensive one. And she almost has, like, a Great Gatsby lifestyle over there. And wow. it's just like, I want to know, like, who is her gang? Well, I mean, it, it used to be like a bunch of DJs and people like that. I thought, like, she was she went on a run where she was dating all kinds of like all the all the top DJs and stuff, and she was traveling around. Seemed like she was just traveling endlessly, like dating new DJs. But I don't know. I guess maybe she's off of that. Yeah, she's got a random guy who no one actually really knows anything about. I think that's like what really, really famous do eventually, like where they just are like, and now I've got a civilian. Well, you have to, I think, or, or you get somebody that's like sort of like Julia Roberts, like falling in love with the cameraman. I always love that one. And I think they're still together. Ooh, or Britney Spears when she was with that backup dancer. Yeah. Kevin Federline. (laughs) K-Fed. I liked I love the Julia Roberts one more because it's like, I don't know, there's, so, there's something romantic about it where it was like he was always looking at her through the camera or something. I don't know. I, I always romanticize that one. Ooh, Kevin Federline, that just it. didn't seem... <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe. Who knows? I'm going to jot that down. Hey, I would publish that. That would be awesome. Cameraman Love Affair. Maybe a better title. <laughs> Oh, this is just what I'm writing to remind myself to work on it. Sounds good. So what have you been listening to lately? Oh, God. Other than Foo Fighters. Just this endless, just the seemingly endless wave of like 90s rock or, you know, I mean, I always, I listen to a ton of hip hop because when I, you know, when I was growing up, I was like that first generation of, white kids from the suburbs who just like basically hip hop was just marketed to us. Yeah. I was going to ask like like, grunge, new metal, just straight up hip hop. Like where? Well, you know, it's like the the weird thing about it is, is that, I mean, of course, when I was younger, when Nirvana came out, I mean, I was pretty young. I wasn't even a teenager yet, but you know, they were so popular. I listened to them. Mm -hmm. I think when I've like gotten to high school, what I, there was also like sort of the element where all the kids who would go to who I went to school with who listened to like Marilyn Manson and uh, you know this was sort of on the tail end of of Nirvana, but you still have people wearing like Nirvana shirts and nine inch nails and stuff. I mean, they just sort of I wasn't really in that kind of crowd. I mean, they kind of seemed like outcasts at the time, like legit outcasts. If you're like in the Breakfast Club, like where where would you be? If I was in the Breakfast Club, <laughs> you know, when I was, when I, I'd I'd love to say that I was Bender, but I mean, I think that I would probably, I probably if if I was in high school, would have been closer to the 
Emilio Estevez character, but I wouldn't have been so, I wouldn't have been nearly that repressed. Okay. And like my father wasn't like pressuring me all the time or anything. It was just, I was more like into, into sports then and, you know, more of like a preppy kid as opposed to, uh, you know, more of a, I guess like a re- rebellious outsider. You have pulled a complete 180. <laughs> Good I don't for know. you. I mean, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, as far as maybe as far as the writing is concerned, but you know, I mean, I don't really consider myself all that. That's my outlet, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think being able to straddle both worlds is pretty amazing. Either way, like to have like both of those inside of you. So yeah, I mean, badass. I think that it's. I think it's definitely led to. Just a lot of different experiences and learning about a lot of different things, and it, that it, it all sort of melded together into what I've become. Essentially, you know, it's just like a hodgepodge of trivial knowledge, you know, strange experiences. Sort of not that weird of an upbringing has created whatever you whatever I've become. Ooh, tell us more about those strange experiences. Well, I mean, I lived in New Orleans for nine years, so, I mean, you know. Oh, you probably have stories then. Well, I mean, a lot of them are just, there's there's so many. A lot of them are just just bizarre, and then there's, you know, a lot of it is just, I mean, the reality is, is that I've, for years, I've, I've really liked to just walk around places, you know, that I've always been a big believer in that cliche or what, I mean, I guess not really, maybe it is, but like to learn a city, you walk around it, you know? So it's just like, I love seeing cities from, from that perspective and especially a city like New Orleans and definitely like the last few years in Denver, if you, if you spend a lot of time just like sort of walking places, Mm -hmm. Especially going into places that you know you maybe you wouldn't normally go or something, you just start to see things and you have interactions with people and you you start to come to terms with like your own stereotypes or your own like fears about people and stuff, and then you start to you know you just start to realize things like that. You know, it's there's a lot of stuff that that we just think about, especially city living that isn't necessarily true, though oftentimes. At the most inopportune times, you'll find out that sometimes the things aren't true. So, where do you live right now? I live in I live in Denver. I live near Five Points in Denver, which okay. is very much. I mean, it's very much in the middle of a very rapidly changing city. Just uh, it's like I used to say that. When I moved to New Orleans, I felt like it was becoming Brooklyn South. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I somehow got ahead of that, just barely, but the same thing happened when I moved out here. And now I'm thinking that this is San Francisco East. So it's like, mm-hmm. you just, I've just been watching these, really for like the last 10 years, I've just been watching these cities just like change. And it's really, it's, it's just interesting. And like, I, as you know, I write a lot about that stuff because it's really, really compelling to me. And I, I think that it's interesting to place, to place characters into situations where they're, you know, they're, they're sort of at odds with not only 
you know, other characters in the story, but they're also sort of in, in, uh, at odds with their environment. Were you ever like, or are you ever IRL in the Denver literary scene? You know, not really. I mean, I've, there's some people that I know around here that I've been meaning to meet up with, but it's just, I don't know, ever since I left my, ever since I got out of the MFA program, I've been, I mean, I've gone to like a couple of residencies and stuff like that, but I've been, I've been reticent to get involved with, really get involved with other writers, except for like some of my most trusted, like beta readers and stuff. Because, you know, it's just like... Oh, I understand. I don't know. I'm really just trying to do my own... I'm really trying to, like, formulate my own kind of thing, and I don't want to be, like, influenced by some... Like, I don't know. I know that sounds ridiculously pretentious, but it's just... It's worked for me to this point. Oh, no, I definitely agree. I will say I use the same three beta readers for everything I write. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And really, it's... It's not even just so much like the influencing. It's just one of those, I want to know like the heavy critical shit. I want to know people who are going to be honest with me and like actually connect to like my writing. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think what I, I think what I was saying was kind of like two parts of that. Like that's definitely the thing when it comes to people reading my work. I guess the other thing is, I don't, yeah, again, it sounds ridiculous, but it's just like, I don't really want to, I'm not super interested in like rolling with some writer posse or something, you know, it's just like, this stuff is, it's this, it's very lonely for me, this, this process. And it's just like, I like to keep it that way because that's the way that it, that's the way it's worked for me, you know? There definitely are a few like writer posses. I mean, I've kind of like jumped in here and there Denver is actually, I've gone there a few times to jump into the writer posse there. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, they actually had quite a few lit festivals and everything. And I can't believe it. I'm in Chicago. And like, I will say almost like people from all over the country, like decided to just go to uh, Catch Fest and just kind of some lit crawls and everything. And it was really weird and like, um, but fun though is very... I don't know, scrappy, but I knew at all times though that it's like I kind of was an outsider who was just kind of like involved slightly. And this was a this was a Denver thing. Yeah. Oh wow, well, that's just how little I know. That oh, I'm trying to figure out. Like that was like kind of almost like 2016. So I, I would say like 2016, 2017, maybe. So. I, I don't even know if the same writers live there anymore. That's just how, like, we are so much. Aside from me, I never seem to move places as much as everyone else does. Well, Chicago was very interesting, and you seem to really, you seem to really like it there. You know, I, I have a love-hate thing, like, where I really like to travel like crazy, but this is my home base. And is that, did you grow up there in Chicago? Yeah. And, okay. like, my whole family, I come from, like, a family. I am the youngest of five kids, and like everybody loves Chicago in our family. And I did a whole fellowship where, like, it was based off of like learning uh, Chicago literature and everything. So, yeah, I, I feel a connect to it. 
Well, I can understand it. You know, if I I was born in a little town in South Carolina that had like two thousand people in it, so it's like if I was born in a massive city like Chicago, I could see myself, you know, definitely staying there or definitely making it a home base at some point. For but sure. for me, it was always about I've got to see. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not Wendell Berry or something. You know, I wasn't going to be hanging around the Carolinas, figuring you know, like moving out to nature or something. It was like the the concrete jungle was always calling me for whatever reason. So you're never going to rough it and go into the mountains and just write on your own? Not not completely. I mean, I need the the creature comforts, but I mean, I'm definitely getting to a point where I would be much more willing to move to a smaller city or outside of uh, the big city now. Um... But at the same time, that I do get so much of my inspiration from from places. That was definitely going to be my next question: is like, what is your process? Like, what is like? Okay, you're doing a flash fiction piece or whatever. Are you going in with the intention to it, or like when you're just in your concrete jungle, witnessing something and be like, it just came to me, and like you're writing on your phone or something? Yeah, generally, I mean, almost almost always, it's it's a spark of it's almost always a spark of something I've observed. Sometimes it'll be like the big me piece. For some reason, I just really wanted to. That piece is just so weird. I don't even. I don't even. I don't even know why I came up with that. But I, I sort of just want. It all came from from listening to the song for whatever reason. I, I don't think that the song has anything that says anything similar to the story. But generally speaking, it's just, it literally is, you know, just seeing something and then jotting down a few things. And then I've usually got, you know, probably 10 or 12 story ideas that are in sort of like in different, different levels of completion. So that kind of keeps me busy, you know, it's like, I, I just like rotate between them and try to, find more inspiration to like come up with things that that go around kind of the initial spark of the idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never really know what's, which one's going to start working. You know, like a lot of times some I'll work on for weeks, months, some I'll write in a day or two. And it's just like, it's almost impossible to tell. I mean, it's just a, it's a very haphazard process. I mean, you write in a way where it doesn't even seem like it takes you, like, a long time. It feels, like, so effortless. Yeah, I think that's probably because I'm kind of, like, I, I, I definitely edit as I write a lot. So this takes, like, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why the things can take so long, because, I'm you know, I'm trying to get to that... You know, there's a lot about a lot about like sentence cadence and just like the way that I want these sentences constructed and stuff that you know it's like sort of there's a music to it for weirdly for me because it's like a, you know I, I need to be able to hear it it needs to sound like very conversational and make sense to me in my head before I can sort of sign off on it mm-hmm. so yeah I really do dig that there is a rhythm to your writing for sure. I want to go back to that like very interesting uh, music chat we went like we went on to like on 
I was gonna say Netflix. That's how you know I'm tired. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, on yes, Netflix was, uh... we had an amazing talk. <laughs> but no, on Twitter I, you, I, I could thought find you might it. bring this up. I thought it was really interesting because when I was going back to it, one I have to tell you the scrolling I had to do. <laughs> was oh intense. my god! Well, I, I was just I was I I was just hoping that I could remember some of it and make sure that I I could say so some things that were not totally nonsensical about it because I figured you we were going to bring it up. I wish you could refresh my memory just a little. Okay, a lot of Weezer talk. Oh God, my, oh, that was one of my most regrettable. <laughs> but that's that's what led to it, wasn't it? My 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 poster. I was saying that I finally understood Weezer. Damn it! Yeah, you you definitely get into. I wish I'd never posted that one. So many <laughs> so many people lost respect for me. I think when I when I said that. I I actually really wanted to know, but then it's like it, it's the dirty deets. But like when I was going back, there's so many like this tweet was deleted by the tweet author. <laughs> Like in these conversations. Oh God! Well, I you know what? I, honestly, I just first of all, I'm not like some, the the best at Twitter, obviously. But it's also like my whole thing was that when I started doing this, I was I would always just tweet stuff and then delete it because I just wanted to keep my uh, like my publications rolling up the you know like I wanted people to just go to my Twitter and be able to find like different writing, right? Mm-hmm. So that was just like a habit I got into. But like in that situation, I'm sure there were, there very yeah. well could have been reasons why I deleted things where I might have, though I didn't get upset with anybody during that, during that whole thing. I was actually very understanding of how people could think that that was so strange because I found it so odd because, I mean, even though I had sort of lived through the era, went back, became like really interested in 90s alt-rock and different things, it always was, Twitter, or uh, sorry, Weezer always was a mystery to me. And it was almost like I finally had this epiphany where I was like, I started to think that they were like sort of, I sort of like got the joke or something. Like I still, I still maintain that they were kind of like an intellectual band that was almost like not making fun of the other music that was being played around the time that they were making music, but who just like sort of intellectualized it a little bit more. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's definitely almost a satirical aspect I've always felt, especially because the lead singer like went to Harvard. Right. And I've seen Weezer a bunch of times. They actually replaced uh, Blink-182 one time at a music festival I went to. And that's when I actually loved it, when they actually started doing a lot of uh, cover music. And they almost became a cover band, and that almost felt yeah, yeah. even more like parody ish. So yeah, that would that would probably be, especially for somebody as who knows as much about music as you. That's probably a good replacement band for Blink One Eighty Two. I mean, Blink One Eighty Two is fine and wonderful in their own way, but I feel like Weezer's considerably more sophisticated band. For sure. I mean, uh, they're actually hopping between stages. And I was like, God, the energy. Like, I could never do that. <laughs> and I don't know. There's definitely more of a connect that I could feel like everyone was having. Whereas Blink-182, it was definitely divisive when I was at the music festival. Where I was like, I heard a lot of people ragging on them. And then... <laughs> 
it's easy to rag on uh, Blink-182. It so is, but I mean, they, I just feel like they were so good at that one, like, incredibly niche thing that they did. I mean, I'm not and even sure like what was, genre they really are. I mean, I... I pop it's, punk? It's, 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 it's a tough one. I mean, pop punk, you know, I mean, I feel like they were... There's also like the whole emo thing, but it's like there's so many there's so much debate about like when that started, you know, when there's so many cycles of it. But I feel like they were definitely on the forefront of like sort of like kind of leading into like a little bit of an emo thing that happened around this around the turn of the millennium, I guess there. Yeah. But they weren't exactly that either. They're definitely my era music and you definitely do hit on the emo thing. I would never say I was an emo, but I hung out with a lot of emos, and they always liked Blink-182. Yeah, it's almost like... Huh, there was a lot of stuff that was sort of in that in that vein. Like, I, But then it was, I don't know, it makes me think of, like, what was there, like, you, like if you think about Korn or, like, bands like that, or, like, Lit Biscuit, who was so popular at that time. Those were... Korn definitely sort of seemed a little emo... Let Biscuit was just rap rock. Who knows what that was? Yeah, I think they're new metal. It's because I just watched the documentary about um, Woodstock '99. A lot of people yes, blame them. Yes, that was. I mean, there was there was a lot of problematic stuff in that documentary, obviously, but it was also just really fascinating. I thought that it was. In some ways, it was really interesting to see it, to see it all framed the way that it was. Because like you could just sort of tell that it was definitely not somebody who was probably would have been there who had who was like making the documentary. At least that's how it felt to me. I feel like as I, I would say like I'm right there in the mil- middle of millennial age. It finally made me realize why my parents were so hesitant to let me go to music festivals. It t- it totally. Yeah, you know, it was, I guess that's what I'm talking about. I mean, that was, it was terrible. That was, yeah. a, that was, the, 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 there were a lot of terrible things. Have you ever been to one music festival? You know, not, not, nothing like that. Like, I, I've been to plenty of concerts, you know, like uh, throughout the years. I mean, you a stadium God, guy, mid size? Oh man, all all of it. I mean, you know, like the, the, like it's. I was. It's funny. I brought up the Hard Knock Life tour earlier, but I think that was like the first, like, uh, concert that I really went to when I was like a teenager. I feel so jealous. My first concert was NSYNC. <laughs> well, I went to concerts before that, but but when I was a kid, I used to love country music. So my mother would take me to all these things like Randy Travis or Clint Black. Probably people you wouldn't even know who the hell they are. Uh, hell no. That sounds dumb. It's like South Carolina <laughs> like, shit. It, I mean, it totally is, you know? And it was just like, it, it made all the sense in the world that I, when I was a kid, it was just like everybody listened to the country music channel and stuff. And then uh, it's weird because I've sort of, in recent years, I've sort of come back to it a little bit, maybe maybe through more like folk or maybe through like uh, outlaw country of like the 70s or, you know, like... Uh, different types of country music but you know it's 
it was so funny because it, at that time, country music was becoming, it was like the first wave of country becoming like almost country pop. So it was, you know, all this stuff that led to like Garth Brooks and whatever they have nowadays. I mean, honestly, you could say that this all led to Taylor Swift eventually. Yeah, definitely. You know, you've led me to a question that I've asked so often on the show. What would you say the difference between folk and country are? You know, honestly, I think that the, I, I feel like when you're talking about country, you're, it's, it's so connected to the South mm-hmm. that I really think that that's maybe the major difference between it. Um, you know, like there's still artists today that I think would, you know, like from the Midwest or uh, like Pacific Northwest who sing a lot of like folky country stuff that would never want to be considered country because I don't think that there's no concept of country music or people singing country music in places that aren't the South really to me. So you definitely think it's like location based? I I mean, I'm no expert, but it just seems like it, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, there's all kinds of, no, please go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to be like, I, I don't want, like, an expert opinion. I just like hearing what, like, other people's theories are. Because it's, so, like, no one seems to, like, actually know the exact differences. I mean, it feels, it, it, it does to me feel very location-based. And, you know, it's like over, for instance, over, uh, I was in Nashville over New Year's, uh, 2020, 2021 to 2022. Mm-hmm. And you go to Nashville and it's just like, you know, I mean, that is a, first of all, it's just a happening place. Uh, you know, really, really a lot going on. I've only been but, I mean, there it's just, once. It's so, it's, so, it's so only country. Yeah, I definitely got that vibe. I was actually called a Yankee there. But she wouldn't even be, can, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You don't even sound like it. You know, it, it will no, what, when you hear what I did. <laughs> I mean. um, we were at a coffee shop, and I asked for a chai latte. And it, it was a fucking coffee shop. Like, of course they would have a chai latte, but I guess not in Nashville at that time. Surely there was a country band playing in the corner. <laughs> there, there was, actually. <laughs> Oh, my God. My favorite country band experience was in Cody, Wyoming. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's really hard to define because, like, that's not Southern, really. But, like... Right, yeah, yeah. We're, like, going to go to Yellowstone, but it was, like, at the dead of night. So we parked outside, and we totally found this, like, roadhouse kind of place. And it's funny because, like, we were in our pajamas. We just couldn't sleep. So we just, like, walked on over there to the roadhouse. And, yeah... They were just playing straight up country music and everything. It felt a little David Lynchy mixed with like country. It was definitely cool. Mm, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome, actually. Oh, it was definitely an experience because then later we ended up going to a Walmart because I wanted to watch the rest of Twin Peaks and we couldn't get Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fu- it's funny you say that because like, I mean, like Colorado is kind of like that in a sense. Like, I, I wouldn't say country music so much, but. When I moved out here, I was really surprised by just how much bluegrass influence there was out here, like uh, not just in Denver, but, you know, like kind of every, everywhere you go. And I, growing up in the in the Carolinas, you know, you're 
wasn't really Appalachia, but it was like you're sort of on the outskirts of where, you know, so much of bluegrass really originated. And mm-hmm. to to come out here and to see it be so prevalent, it and it was also like there was just a lot of like weird bluegrass, like sort of like bluegrass bands playing covers of like pop songs and stuff. It's like for some reason seems super popular out here. I actually love it when you get different different genres doing covers. Yeah, they can't be really good. I yeah. mean, it's, I guess, it, I don't know. I guess in, in some ways it spoke to me to the, just sort of the changing demographic of the young people who live in Colorado. Um, because, you know, I mean, like when you, I mean, Denver's definitely one of those cities where it's like, it's sort of like you're, if you run into somebody who's like a, a Denverite or somebody who's lived there their whole life, it's like really kind of surprising at this point. I just have to ask, is that what people in Denver call themselves? It is what they call themselves, yeah. That's probably my favorite like n- news magazine in Denver. It's also called the Denverite. That's where you get like some serious Denver news that you wouldn't find in the Denver Post. Now I feel like I just have to ask people from all 50 sh- like states what they're actually like called because like we're Chicagoans and like you get your New Yorkers Portlandians I think I don't know if that's just a show thing or whatever but surely that's what they call themselves at this point if it wasn't before it is now unless they hate the show but then again their mayor was in the show so (laughs) that's definitely a fun shit thing to know I I, that is that is great because like you know I mean that that's one of those shows that it obviously had a, a, a strong affection for the place, but it also really gave them a hard time as well. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's why it's so, that's, that's why that show was so weird and funny. I mean, poor Portland, they definitely had like suddenly a shit ton of hipsters descend upon their city. But it's funny because I feel like they were totally all right with it. Whereas so many other cities where they'd be like, oh, God damn, not all the hipsters, teenager people. It's funny about like, uh, I was, uh, I wasn't a, I wasn't nearly as big a fan of the pig movie, the Nicolas Cage movie. Did you see this? Well, it's, it's got some, it's got some interesting elements about Portland where it's like, you sort of see, you definitely see like a side of Portland that you would not, that you wouldn't see especially in like the Portlandia or sort of the general consensus of Portland is like sort of this just like super weird place actually shows like a lot of the grittier elements of it. And at the same time, some of the classier elements of it, which is, you know, cause it, you know, it's definitely there. It's See, not, really you know, that. Port- yeah, no, it's, we could talk about, We'll talk about that movie some other time. I mean, it's look, it's really good, but I had some like just some fundamental issues with it. But still, I watch. I mean, I watch Nick Cage do anything. So, oh yeah, I love him. Even if he's in some of the shittiest movies ever, I mean, he still like brings. I know. Game. I want to see this one where he's that he's got coming out where he's uh, he's playing himself basically. I don't know if that already came out and I missed it. I just remembered that. What's it called? God, I can't remember. Nick Cage literally plays Nick Cage, and he and he goes to like some, like Italy or something because he needs to make he needs to make money because he's like in real life he's spent all of his money or he's like tax fraud or something, 
And it's like his biggest fan or something is this rich guy who brings him over to hang out with him, but then it devolves into some kind of action movie. I can't remember what it's called. I feel like maybe it's not not out yet. Oh, dude. I would definitely like to watch that. You're going to have to, like, remind me. i got to look into it because I remember seeing the trailers, and I want to say it was. it's got to be coming. If it's not out, it's got to be coming out soon. I've become very, I don't want to say, like, cheap, but lazy, I guess, when it comes to movies. I've been waiting for them to come on streaming. Like crazy. I often do. I mean, unless it's unless it's somebody like like I would see Licorice Pizza in theaters. You know, if it's if it's a director that I really want to see what they're up to, like I'll go see the Batman in theaters whenever I get around to it. But you know, a lot of times it hits streaming in April. Well, see, that's also the crazy thing. It's like it, that's been happening to me over the last couple of years, where it's just like, well. I, you know, they, you used to be able to say, well, I'm going to go see that in a few weeks. And then nowadays it's like a few weeks. First of all, it came out on the streaming service the same day. And it's going to be out of the theaters in like three weeks. <laughs> see, it's like fun because like you don't have to deal with like people talking during the movie and shit. And no, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I go to like the fancy movie theater where you can like get a like truffle popcorn and they'll bring you a beer or a martini if you want one, you know, and it's like it's not that many seats at the Alamo. Oh, I think you actually need to move. That That's where you can get your more hipstery truffle popcorn. <laughs> but no, I actually, I have had the weirdest mixtures when it comes to like theater candy treats. So... I would say the grossest thing is I used to like dipping junior mints in uh, nacho cheese sauce. So people think I'm disgusting. Well, that is something. Yeah. I know. So so much judgment. I'd like to say I was a teenager at the time. Now I just eat raisinets. Raisinets in a beer. I can't even judge it. I just don't know what it, I just can't even imagine what it would be like. I mean... I almost want to try you know, it. when you're younger, you, you just kind of give everything a go where I was just like I wonder what this tastes like and I was like huh not a bad combination huh I guess if your mind's in it you can you can like sort of think that anything's a pretty good combination exactly see (laughs) just like you know we're talking about like weird like genre mixes and everything when it comes to music (laughs) where it's like you wouldn't think that like I don't know like I like seeing punk bands do like covers of like country music and, you know, same shit, like, with rap doing, like, kind of, like, really crazy hardcore music and shit. Yeah, yeah. Totally, I agree. It's, like, some of my favorite shit. So, what is the best concert you've been to? Or craziest concert experience you could choose? Oh, I wish I had a crazy concert experience for you, but unfortunately I just... I just don't have a truly crazy concert experience. You know, honestly, I think that my favorite concert memory was probably the first time I saw Snoop Dogg in concert. And the reason is because it was just, at that time, you know, this was probably maybe late 90s, early 2000s. I was a teenager. And, you know, like, he was definitely, like, smoking an enormous amount of weed on the stage. Like to the point where he like had people like rolling up blunts of weed, 
And it was just like there were police officers on either side of the stage. And it was like definitely illegal to smoke weed. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, what? Like, why does he get to do things that normal people can't do without getting arrested with the police standing right beside him? You know, it just, he was also just like, he's just, he's never been like the greatest rapper, but he's always been like just sort of this outsized personality. Mm hmm. I mean, he's Snoop. He he gets to do whatever he it's wants. It's true. It's just like that. There's there are very few people probably on earth that are as recognizable as him. And what he's become recognizable for is so. It's just so hilarious to me because it's like it's almost like he's done a full circle to being, like borderline wholesome at this point. Like he's on like Corona. He is gone. <laughs> he's on Corona commercials, just like. Walking down the beach, friend, handing out Coronas very friendly to people. See, I love him. He actually is uh, really big into NFTs. It's weird, really weird. He actually uh, doxed himself and uh, let everybody know that like who he was. He has an alter ego on Twitter. He is Cosmo Dimitri. What? Yeah. I cannot believe that. That's hilarious. So, yeah, he's definitely, like, a really, like, big art collector. And that's what I'm saying. Like, there's so many layers to Snoop D-O-double-G. Yeah, he's, no, he's amazing. And you like, like, you're a big NFT person, aren't you? Don't you like, aren't you, like, into this whole thing? Uh, I know a lot about it because my fiancé is really into it. But, like, I, it goes over my head so easily. So... It's definitely a complicated subject when it comes to, like, yeah, I just don't get it fully, but it's, like, I can dig it if it's really just, like, good for the artists, but... It's super, I mean, it's super intriguing. I mean, I, I, yeah, I especially love it when it's... I don't know, there was one, like, like Kings of Leon had, like, one that would, that seemed like a really great idea, something where it was, like... I feel like they were one of the first ones that did, like, an add-on to a to a new album or something where you could get, like, a... You know what? I shouldn't even be talking about it because I just don't know enough. <laughs> See, that's why I try and like stray away because it's like I'm aware of some shit. I know, like, uh, I think I read that Blake Butler released a book as an NFT. Um, huh. Yeah, as I'm saying, like, I, I've definitely, Quentin Tarantino, I think, tried to release like uh, unaltered scripts and everything. And he actually, I think, got sued for that. Because the oh, I, I did see that. Down. You know what? You know what else that made me think of? There was a. I don't know if I'm the first one who realized this, or if it's just completely inaccurate. But there was that one-off uh, Wu Tang album that the Pharma Bro guy had. Like, was that the first NFT? Oh, I wouldn't even know. See, like, <laughs> I I would wait until my fiance comes home and then be like, "Do you know this?" I think conceptually it might have been. I mean, it was a, it was a literal record, but but they only there was only one of them. See, that's and like, lit. do you remember I that pharma guy? That. The, do you remember the pharma bro guy who got in all the trouble because he was like trying to he was trying to push up the price on like medication for God, all kinds of t- terrible I think things it was like, like insulin the, and shit. There was a it was a bunch of different stuff, and he went to jail, but he was. One of his favorite possessions was that Wu-Tang album. So would you ever get into NFTs as a writer? 
Or do you have to like what would you wait until it really like gets like popularized or mainstream? Because I feel like it's a thing where it's almost like you get to self-publish and not deal with the hassle, I believe, with like a publisher, you get more control over your work. Yeah, I mean, I guess the I guess the thing I'd have to truly understand is like what it, what does it mean exactly? Does it mean that somebody owns the original copy of the work but other people can read it or like what does it mean exactly because I guess that's why I, I still don't really understand exactly what it See, means it's a hard thing you know what I mean does somebody own the original file because like if I was just like do I want to write something that just like one person can buy and own that isn't me probably not from my understanding like you could do it in so many different ways like you could almost do like an ongoing story like where you just release like bit by bit, I think. And um, I've heard of people just kind of like releasing like one book and then just like people just pushing it bit by bit and you get a cut of every royalty whenever someone sells it. Interesting. Yeah, that's, huh. I think that's the whole profitable part, but they're, they're definitely like your scammers and everything out there too. <laughs> so you never know. Yeah. I mean, look, I'd be... I'd be up for anything that, you know, secured me a readership and some cut of the profits for sure. I mean, it's super hard to get to get anywhere these days, and especially like in big publishing. And, you know, it's like really hard to make it if you're an indie writer. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly be into anything that, that A, makes it easier to get the work out to people and B, put some money in the hands of the writers. I mean, I think that that's what we all would love to see. I mean, you definitely have a big readership. As a publisher, I, I could tell you that you have a shit ton of views and readers when it comes to your stories. So, Well, that's awesome to yeah, hear. I, see, I get to see the back end. You don't really know how many readers are actually checking the stories. That's true. That's true. See, I generally I, I assume that, that Deep, dark secrets. Well, that's fantastic to know. Thank you so much for telling me that. No, you, you definitely, you're one of the higher authors. Whenever we publish you, you, you definitely like trend. You trend very hardly the first couple days, and then it's almost like a couple weeks later, you'll trend again. Huh. I know. It's definitely a mystery. I, I've never discovered what the secret is because I don't see you tweet about it like a second time a couple weeks later. Usually because you write so much. Well, I also never know if that's... It feels like the, the Twitter platform is like really looks down on people who will continuously... You know, I like to... I just like to share a story once and I'll share it again and then I'm like... People are going to get like really annoyed with me if I share this like another time. So I just, I don't know. It's just, I guess, the nature of it, you know, like sort of the way that things disappear on Twitter is, uh, I mean, it's all social media, but, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because Twitter can be such a wonderful platform to to promote your stuff, you know, like sort of in a few hours or in a day. What but other then, ways <laughs> would you try and promote your stuff? Like if you could just like randomly think of like, do you think you'd ever like go on TikTok or anything like that to promote your? You know writing? what's weird? It's it's funny you say that because I mean I gave it some consideration, but then I started thinking, well, what would I do? I mean, like, 
you know, it's like real, the, the videos are super short. I mean, I think that you can maybe put together like a like a full minute if you I, th I think maybe that's like the most that you can put together. And I was like, I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to read work? I mean, it just seems like I, I, it's, I don't know. It's, See, that's where I certainly weirdly gave TikTok some thought to the test. Just like kind of fuck with it. I've definitely seen some very interesting things. I've seen some writers do shit. So you're unique enough. I think you would definitely be able to pull it off. Well, it's, it's certainly worth considering. I mean, you know, it's like... It's hard to say. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just figuring out and sort of fizzling out on Twitter at this, at this juncture. So, so I'm going to have to figure out something. You're doing, like, social media burnout? You're getting that, like, exhaustion? Well, I just... Well, I just feel like what I just feel like there's such a level of sensitivity with the Twitter that I'm almost to the point where it's just like I'm I almost feel like I'm I don't even want to be antagonizing, but it's just like it's so annoying to me that it's so easy to be antagonizing that I've almost become some sort of antagonist. It's like the it's kind of like the Dark Knight quote where it's like you you live long enough to be you either live long enough to be the hero or you stay around uh or you, you die and become the hero, you stay around long enough to become the villain. It's almost like, I thought I'd last like maybe six months on Twitter before like I kicked off the platform or something, but it was like, it's been like two years now and finally I'm just starting to get like this thing where I'm like, I can't just like, I don't know, just deal with all this like sort of policing and bullying that people do. I'm pretty good at staying away from it, but see, the only way I do it is I just don't state actual opinions. <laughs> Which that's what's so funny, man. I was that's what I was thinking about the other day. I was just like, I was like, you can the literally the only way that you could not have potentially someone come and have issue with what you said is if you just say something that's just so just a ridiculous fact that is. Or just like a, or just like an opinion that that nobody would could possibly get upset about. Exactly. Like I'll just put weird thoughts on there, or I'll promote something, and like that's kind of it. I think it's why people think I have such like a big like coffee brand and stuff because it's one of the safest things you could post about. <laughs> just it like, is true. I, I've certainly always thought that you were definitely. Oh, big, I love big coffee, coffee, but it's just like one of those like. You know what? If that's the brand I have to push, it is the safest one. Coffee and Scream. Those are those seem to be two of your favorite things. You know, I won't lie. They definitely are. I got to see this new I got to see the new one. It's already available for streaming. Yeah, I got to check it out. God, I love the I love the whole franchise. Same here. I watched the movie in theaters one with someone who didn't care and then two with someone who hated it. So I was definitely feeling the pressure. And I couldn't actually hear it that well because there were so many people in the theater. So when I left, I was just like, I think it kind of sucked. But then when I came home and watched it on streaming, and I was like, you know what? Actually, it's really good. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I saw you said that. I was, I was always curious. When, like, when did you see the first one? Did you see the first one when you were young or did you see it when you were like basically an adult? 
I saw the first one when I was young, and it's because my siblings like to scare the shit out of me. So we have basically the same experience. I was the oldest sibling, but when I saw it, I was, I mean, I was, the opening scene especially, you know, it's just like, the opening scene of Scream is one of the most memorable scenes of a movie for me ever. And, you know, it's just like so great. That and Halloween, those are like some of the greatest openings to like a horror film, I feel. Totally. So, are you working on any new writing before we go? I'm always I'm always working on something, you know. I mean, it's like, uh, but the thing is, I've been I've been really I really want to pivot into trying to write something something longer. So I've got a bunch of bunch of short stories and flash fiction, and it's you know kind of sitting there, and I work on it a lot, but. I just, I told myself in 2022, it was, it's just, I always feel like, I don't, I don't know what else I have to prove with these, these short pieces, you know? I mean, I love them, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could write these damn things forever. And like, it's not like I want to stop, stop writing them. I'd love to have like multiple collections of these short stories and stuff. But I just feel like the next logical step is, it's either trying to write a, it's either trying to get a novel together or it's, Honestly, returning to screenwriting, maybe, and trying to write like a, trying to write a feature film. Uh, I was thinking about maybe writing something to try to put in the Nichols Fellowship thing, which is like the biggest short story collection for you. Yeah, I've got man, I've got. You have a lot of options. Well, it's it's been hounding me because I've been trying to. It's I've been having a lot of difficulty, like sort of piecing things together and trying to figure out what exactly I want to be pieced together. So I've got like all these different versions of like this one really way longer thing that's got like a bunch of flash and short stories in it, but it's kind of unwieldy. And it's like, this is, you know, it's like, I don't know if it's, if I were to read it, I'd be like, maybe like, well, this stuff is so all across the board. It's just kind of strange. So then I get like other versions and I'm trying to like put things together more thematically and, uh, it's tough. I never. I probably should have gone into maybe this this like two year like sort of fever dream of writing, thinking a little bit more about how these stories would go together. Mm-hmm. But that's just not the way it went. Well, hit those sidewalks, walk around like crazy, and see what comes to you. Oh, you know I will. Yeah. No, because I I am definitely looking forward to the day that like you do like a book or something like long because I I, I feel like you're the kind of writer that like I could probably finish reading a book of yours in one day like not like where it's like simple but it's like compelling yeah 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 no I I know I I mean I I that's that's what I'm hoping for you know I mean I think that so much of the stuff that I've published with you with you guys and uh, so much of that just speaks to kind of the style of something longer that I want to work on. You know, I want it to be, I love movement like those stories always seem to have. You know, I just like a, it can seem very simple to just have a character sort of wandering around or just always like sort of pivoting into doing something different. But, you know, that's like what I've come to realize about so many of the books that I really love is that I want to go on this journey with this character that I really like what they have to say about 
the things they're witnessing, the people they're coming into contact with, and like sort of seeing how they deal with scenarios that you know sort of speak to things that I might I might run into on a daily basis. And it's just like that's that's my my ambition is to write something like that for you know like sort of my generation or people like a little bit younger. You know, something they can really sink their teeth into that has like sort of elements that feel like them, but at the same time, there's like a lot of underlying stuff that's working on multiple levels. I dig it. I look forward to seeing whatever you come up with in the future. I swear to God, if you do a screenplay, it would be like the best. If like, I I just want to watch a movie that you would write. (laughs) What genre? I, I like I just need to know like are are you like a Tarantino like because that's what I get a little bit about you or are you more like a Paul Thomas Anderson? I honestly I couldn't put myself in even remotely in the class of either one of them, but uh, I mean it, in some ways I do feel similar in that like all the screenplays that I've already written that I think could be good but just simply aren't quite good yet are really all across the board. Like I've got like a coming of age road trip script. I've got a, like a comedy horror script that I think has some real potential. Then, you know, like I'd like to write just like kind of real serious drama scripts. And it's like, uh, also got like some teleplays, you know, like I was, I mean, like I've been weirdly, I've been like reverse adapting some of this stuff. Like, uh, I had this whole television show that I wrote that, I've been sort of reverse adapting that a couple of those got published. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. It's just like I I got so burnt out on the screenplay thing because, like, the reality is is that, like, I like to sit at home and I don't have any real-world ambition. And if you don't have, like, real-world networking ambition, then, like, the idea of you getting a screenplay is, like, getting a screenplay produced is, like, pretty slim, Unless you like win a competition or something. I mean, it's just like unlikely. You know, I feel like, see, that's where the thing is where you're getting the Twitter burnout. But like the more people you meet, the more likely you are to like find someone who's like really into that kind of shit or is like looking for it. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe I'm, (laughs) I mean, you might be right. I might just be burning myself out. No, I totally feel you. Like, there are some platforms that I just stay the fuck away from because I know it's just going to, like, make me pissed off or exhausted or take too much out of me. So I, I wouldn't blame you. If ever there were a time to get to, get into screenwriting, though, or, like, TV writing. Oh, this would be I mean, the think time. About all the, think about all the places that are looking for content these days. I mean, seriously, so many different streaming services are popping up, and they're just looking for, like, they're just gobbling it up like crazy. And in every genre, too. I mean, it's just like, man, it's just like, there's never been a, I mean, honestly, it's, it kind of reminds me of what happened in music probably like a decade ago, where it was just like, I mean, it's obviously there's, not anybody can go out and make a TV show or a feature film, but... I mean, anybody can go out and become a YouTube sensation or like a TikTok star or something like this, you know. And it's like, I mean, before before music got to the point where basically everybody had access to it, you know, I mean, it was, you couldn't just become a musician. So 
it's 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 intriguing. I mean, there's endless opportunities and options for for writers out there, and yet here I here here I am just middling along. I think you're gonna get there. I think you definitely have. <laughs> you have the stamina. You definitely do. So, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Oh, not really. I mean, my uh, <laughs> my memoir with uh, Bull City Press is coming out this summer. We haven't we haven't quite gotten it, gotten everything together. We've got a cover concept. I love that a lot. Um. I mean, I'm super excited about that because, I mean, that's a, you know. I, it's a big deal. First of all, I put a you know, I, there's a lot of stuff in it that's about my, my life and stuff. And it's something that I, I don't want to be like one of these writers who like uses their family to, you know, to, to write about or, or anything. But I feel like I've walked like a really nice tightrope with this one where it's about, sort of my upbringing and then it just sort of becomes about how that kind of led into you know sort of who I became as an, as an adult for for better or worse and I don't know it's like I, I really liked writing it and I'm hoping that it might lead to something something bigger I'd love to write another like bigger memoir in the future so yeah I'm excited about that and to see what see what people think of that I mean it's like snowball effect it just gets more and more success and everything but yeah i really like that you're on the show i i'm actually pretty shocked that you're into it no i loved it thank you so much for having me all right that was wilson support him by checking out his work on his website wilsonkwing.com and take a look at his twitter at wkwing the spelling for both will be in the show notes because believe me it is not spelled like you think it is As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at PodHealing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. Support the show by checking out the merch on our site and leaving ratings on Apple Podcasts. We are also available on Spotify and almost every other podcast platform available. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every other Saturday. Thank you for listening and keep textual healing.